I grew up in a kind of uh, farm-like environment. You know, my grandparents had a farm. Um, they had cattle. They used to grow alfalfa for the cattle and the horses. Um, and my grandma always grew, you know, food. So I always grew up knowing where food came from. And so when you go to the grocery store and you see this very limited variety of food, it always seemed odd to me because my grandma had so many varieties of squash that she would grow. And so going to the grocery store, you have like Italian squash, yellow squash, and Mexican gray squash. And that, that was pretty much it, you know, like you had your basic calabacitas. But one thing that always reminded me about her was that she never bought seeds. You know, every year she would always, you know, gut all of the seeds from all of her plants and put them in these little storage jars and, you know, keep them in, um, in the storage shed. And, you know, growing up, you know, that kind of went back into the back of my mind. And then about two years ago, me and my wife had our baby and it started getting me thinking about that again is like, how do, how do I want to raise my child and how do I want her to expose to the world that we live in and what kind of world do I want her to be able to experience? And so I started thinking about it and I, I didn't want her to grow up just buying food from a grocery store all the time. So. Um, as I was studying uh, ceramics with, with Clarence Cruz, I started learning Pueblo pottery, and in particular, I became interested in seed pots. And uh, so I started making these seed pots just as experiments, learning to work with clay. And at the same time, I started to have a little urban garden in my backyard. Um, living here in the Albuquerque, in the city, there's not really a whole lot of room. The soil has been replaced with this uh, compact soil. So the compact soil that they use for um, building uh, subdivisions isn't really conducive to um, growing food. So we had to figure out a way um, to be able to grow food. And usually that comes by amending the soil in one way or another. So um, I figured, you know, if we're going to be doing this, it's going to be a long term process. Let's do it the way my grandmother used to use, where half the field, they would mow the grass and let it die and, you know, let it, you know, uh, turn back into the dirt. And you turn that dirt over so many years, the soil is usable again. So I decided to start a small box and over the years, we'll keep turning that dirt into the rest of our property. So that way we can start expanding the area and growing eventually out of the box and in the soil. And so I started a small little box garden in my backyard and I went, uh, I didn't want to grow uh, commercial varieties like burpee and those kinds of things, which have, you know, uh, a lot of kind of connotations of um, mass producing food in the way that we're used to. I wanted my daughter to be exposed to um, the native plants that grow around here rather than plants that come from places that aren't indigenous to this region. So I started doing a lot of research in the seeds and I found two places in particular. One was um, the native seed bank in Tucson and the other was the plants of the Southwest here in Albuquerque. And so I bought seeds from both. Um, just because I wanted to find native seeds that were heritage seeds that um, could be that had their lineages traced that weren't made for mass consumption and also tasted good, you know. So if people are using it, obviously it tastes good because we're not going to keep reproducing seeds that are that aren't very good. So um, you know, it just made me start think about food and how 
um, seeds have changed over time as people have cultivated it. Um, corn in particular is really important here in the Southwest, especially in the Pueblo region. Corn was the primary source of grain and protein. So it's like how, how many varieties the Pueblos had is astounding. And not one of those varieties of corn looked, tasted, or resembled in any way the sweet corn that we're importing from Kansas or from Mexico. So to me, that was the first place to start. So we started growing corn. And you know, with corn, usually you pick up seeds from the Three Sisters. So um, the Three Sisters is corn and squash and beans, which are the three cultivated plants of the Pueblo region. And um, so they're, te they're somewhat domesticated, but most of the Pueblos didn't cultivate seeds the way that we do now, where we amend the soil and reroute water and, um, and change the habitat to uh, adapt to the seed. Instead, they would find seeds that would grow well within the habitat. So you find these dry wash areas where the water had a natural runoff and had an underlying aquifer. So that way, when the plants, if you planted them in the right season, they would have enough water to germinate. And once they got big enough, they would have enough groundwater to be able to grow on their own. So I started sticking with these kind of varieties, you know, eventually thinking about that, you know. Um, I want these seeds to be able to be heirlooms, so not necessarily seeds that um, you have to keep buying over and over and over again that have a patent, but instead buying seeds that I could keep and pass on to my daughter, who she could then grow and pass on to her children and becomes an heirloom. And that really comes along with the Pueblo pottery that I was doing, where the seed pots really were kind of a community thing. You would share the seeds through the seed pots, and the seeds would be able to last really long amounts of time. There are seed pots that were found in some of the caves in the Gila cliff dwellings that were over a thousand years old, and they were able to cultivate 800-year-old corn seeds that were found in a seed pot in a cave. And so that just brought me to the idea, like, we store seeds in paper and a lot of people keep seeds in plastic bags and if seeds don't have oxygen they'll eventually die if they have too much water they can rot too much humidity they can rot and having a seed pot really is the best way to store and keep seeds um, it's an ancient technology that has yet to be improved upon even today so i, I started making seed pots specifically I made a seed pot for every variety of seed that I was growing in my backyard so that way every year when we cultivated I could keep those seeds put them back in the seed pots and I would never have to buy seeds again I could keep cultivating these same seeds and I could use the plants that were the most productive from that um, which is um, domesticating the seed a little bit more from its original root but at the same time I'm only keeping the seeds that are working in the habitat that we're growing so I'm not forcing the habitat to make the seed instead I'm finding the varieties of corn that were already naturally willing to grow in the habitat that I had so I thought that was really important and as my daughter started to grow she could watch the food grow and one of the things that became really interesting was the tomatoes um, so I bought these heirloom tomatoes, which were purple um, Cherokee or Navajo tomatoes. You know, they just call that, they call it that because it's an Indian seed tomato, which is an heirloom that's a local variety of tomato that grows and it's purple. So it's really attractive. Um, but my daughter grew up 
um, eating nothing but the tomatoes from our garden. And we would go out there every morning for breakfast and she would pick her tomatoes. And she actually had a preference for the ones that were slightly green. She liked them a little bit sour. And uh, even though they were sour, they were still extremely flavorful and they were extremely um, juicy rather than like just sour and kind of dehydrated. They were really good tomatoes. And um, she grew up for the first year and a half of her life eating nothing but tomatoes directly off the vine, picked that morning. And she loved to this day, like her favorite food is tomatoes. But over the winter, we don't have any more tomatoes. So we had to start buying them from the grocery store. and she didn't like any of the tomatoes we would buy from the grocery store. She would refuse. We'd go to restaurants, we'd put tomatoes on her plate, she refused to eat them. She didn't want those tomatoes. So she, if my baby, who's a year and a half, could tell the difference between the food that's grown in a backyard and the food that's being grown um, in a commercial environment, it lets you know, like, what are we missing as a society? And you know, it, it also helps supplement other soils as well because you can only mass produce plants on a certain crop of land for so long. So I, it helps everybody if everyone grows a certain portion of their food on their own anyway. And I think um, you know, just looking towards the future, you know, that's, that's the only way that it's gonna go is we're gonna wind up with horticultures on the top of skyscrapers and that, that's gonna be a norm come too long. People are just, you know, we're just waiting to catch up with that because offsetting the food in a local variety is the only way that we can sustain the population with the food that we have, is if we start taking responsibility for our food. And then also having my daughter grow up thinking about where her food comes from, that it's not just something that you go to the grocery store and buy, but it's a living thing that you have to care for. And if you don't care for it, then it's not going to be able to benefit anybody. And you have to care for these things. If you don't care for it, then it winds up being like the varieties that we have in the grocery stores, even in the organic aisles. You know, they're growing very specific crops that have very specific growth rates that are very predictable. And the problem with farming in your own backyard is sometimes you don't have plants that are very productive. You know, this year I have that problem. I saved all the seeds and I'm growing from the seeds that I've had for the last two years. And the plant is only half productive. Half the plant is not um, growing fruit. It, the flowers are just dying. It doesn't matter how many bees there were. Um, and the other half just now in the last couple of weeks and we're already at the end of monsoon season is starting to actually produce fruit. So it's, it's just one of those things where when you're growing from heirloom, it's unpredictable, yes, but at the same time, it's wholly rewarding because you know you're offsetting um, what's required of larger farms and you know that your daughter is getting a specific kind of nutrition or your family's getting a specific kind of nutrition that is unavailable outside of that. And you can help choose more natural varieties that are made for this area rather than wasting electricity and lights or wasting specific irrigations or buying expensive soils that are very costly to in chemical compounds. Um, and instead you can grow varieties that are naturally occurring here. And you don't necessarily have to even modify your backyard at all because they're already growing here. The problem is we mowed them all down so we could put houses. 
And so what I've been trying to do is what I call re-indigenizing my backyard where I'm going just off to the desert and cultivating plants and bringing them back into my backyard because that's where they belong is in my backyard. Um, otherwise, they're competing with foreign plants that are um, extremely hostile. So as you start to weed out the foreign hostile plants, the indigenous plants start to take root and they replace those plants, specifically the goat heads that we have here are not indigenous to the area and they're extremely hostile and they overtake everything as soon as you get a few going. But I found um, cultivating kota tea actually replaces goat heads. So the more I've spread the kota tea in my backyard, the less goat heads I have every year. So um, really like it's creating a way of life and a way of thinking and a way of daily routine of thinking about your food, thinking about where these things come from. And you're aware of thinking about the land and you're aware of thinking about the water resources that we have. So one of the things that I started to do after the first year was starting to store water because I realized how much water I was putting into the plants. Um, I needed to offset that somehow because I can't just keep pumping water from the ground, putting it into the plants. I need to be able to cultivate water. So I started to store um, rainwater. And what I found was the rainwater that I stored that had a little bit of algae that started to grow into it was actually creating a great feed for the plants. So I noticed the plants in the backyard that I was using this runoff water um, were actually greener and healthier than the plants in the front yard that had the same lighting conditions um, that were being fed from the, from the city water. And um, one of the reasons is because there's a high alkalinity in the seawater that we have, or in the groundwater that we use from the city water and the rain runoff water doesn't have that alkalinity and when you add that little bit of microbacteria that grows into it it's actually extremely beneficial for the plants and it acts kind of like a feed for them so it becomes more less of a uh you know, I want to save the world and I want to save the environment. And it becomes more of, uh, okay, I have to take care of myself and my family. And it becomes more of a daily way of life. And I call it um, kind of artistic living because really taking care of plants is an art more than a science. I mean, if you want a plant to come out healthy, you have to give it attention. You know, you can't just pump it full of chemicals and say, okay, now you have to grow. You have to go out there and you have to say, okay, my light is shifting now, what am I gonna do? You know, the, the rain isn't coming now, what am I gonna do? Half of this plant is dying, but half of it is thriving. What are you gonna do? You have to be able to understand what is happening to the plant and the fact that um, when you develop a healthy ecosystem for the plant, they're gonna be more successful. So that's a, a kind of thing that I really wanna pass on to my children is understanding that because I grew up with that. But my grandparents had a farm. That farm isn't there anymore. You know, they've started to section it off and you know, my grandparents got, are starting to get old so they cut off portions of that farm and they're building houses on it for their children. So the farm's gone and all we have now is the city. So how are we going to teach our children this and it's not something that you can go visit, you know, once a month or every summer. Let's go down to, you know, the open spaces and go look at the farm. You know, it really understanding this on a basic human level and a basic natural level is 
is dealing with it on a daily basis and having to get up every morning and, you know, pick the worms off of the tomatoes and, you know, and even then, like, I don't kill the worms when I pick them off because we need the worms. In fact, uh, the moss that the worms come from are one of the best pollinators for the, for the native tobacco that I grow. The native tobacco that I grow is really healthy and it actually protects uh, my plants from small insects. So you really, it really is less about growing plants and more about growing a healthy ecosystem more than anything. And as you get a healthy ecosystem, the plants will thrive all on their own. You just have to make sure that you care for it. I mean, and that's what the Pueblos have been doing all along. When you're throwing seeds in a wash or a, what we call an arroyo, um, when you're growing your plants on the edge of an arroyo, you really do have to go out there and see what is happening to the land and you have to be observant with the way that the water and the wind and the sun are moving in order to understand what is happening. And that's really the kind of thing that I want to pass on to my children. So really like my cultivating and storing seeds and keeping the seed pots is about creating a legacy for my children that they can understand and respect the planet and respect um, our way of life and a way for her to be able to experience um, something that is uh, as old as people. As long as we've been congregating in groups, we've been cultivating plants. And so this is inherent in our structure of being in any kind of society and any kind of grouping. We have to understand how to find the plants that we need and how to make them thrive or how to help them thrive, not make them thrive. You really are just helping them along. And so um, that really, the, the storing of the seeds and the building of the seed pots is about creating the legacy for my children to be able to utilize this gift that you know I'm starting to grow now that they can take with them and hopefully pass on to their children.